Well, she can't look back. Her face is so tight from all those facelifts she's had. I mean, holy hell. The Georgia Virtue presents the Let Me Tell You Why You're Wrong podcast. Welcome to episode 203. We've got a great show for you this week. We're going to cover a lot of what's going on, a little bit in the country, but a lot on Georgia. I'm Dave Roberts. With me is my partner in this endeavor, writer, journalist, owner of the Georgia Virtue, and dog mom, Jessica Salagi. Hi, Dave. Hey, howdy. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing better all the time, better than I deserve. All the time? Every day is an improvement from the previous? Hey, every day I wake up uh, wake up above ground is a good one. Mm-hmm. You had a heck of a week down in Tattnall, didn't you? I did. I, you know, I kind of how I didn't really know how to write about it. I don't really know how to talk about it. So I, I put it on our t- outline for um, opening thoughts and kind of introduction, which is kind of like a tough topic to just tee off with. But... You know, I've talked about the fact that Tattnall County in southeast Georgia has three prisons, and Georgia State Prison's one of them, and they've been in the news a lot lately because um, Commissioner Timothy Ward has suggested closing it. And so, I mean, there's just all this conversation about it. But I've, I've been – lately I've been covering the drain on the system and um, the way that it's impacting taxpayers, right? Like – Tattano County pays a fortune for um, in co- in corner fees and um, EMS resources that have to go to the prison and life lighting people out and all of these things because the prisons are out of control. So even though they're the one of them one of the three is closing, um, it's really not going to impact anything in the short term because they're they've got inmate on inmate violence cases uh contraband cases that's overrunning the jail like it's just it's just a mess across the board so on tuesday of last week i was supposed to go to court to um why i was just going to observe they have set aside a day um that is just cases that are stemming from the prison so inmates who have allegedly committed other crimes um while they're behind bars and it's jurisdiction of Tattano County Superior Court they've assigned a special judge to they brought him in just to handle these cases and so they're about to start trying them um and I thought that I was just going for a calendar call to kind of hear about what kind of cases were going to head to trial and um which ones were pleading and all of that and so I get I get there you know just in the nick of time as usual um and the first couple hours was what I expected, and then we went to an immunity hearing, and we've talked about immunity hearings on the show before, so I'm not going to run belabor that thought. But um, basically, this guy killed his cellmate, and he claims it was self-defense. The evidence doesn't suggest that. Um, but more than anything, I mean, I, I knew there was violence, right? Like, I knew there was violence in our prisons. Um, but what I saw, like, first of all, I didn't know that's what I was going to be watching um, and seeing. But I, I I was not prepared for it. And 
um, in an immunity hearing, obviously, in a, in order to prove that or to try to convince the court that you're shouldn't be prosecuted, like you have to present some levels of evidence. And so when I tell you that this probably 10 by 12 cell was covered in deep puddles of blood and um, so much blood, they couldn't even roll a gurney in there because the wheels wouldn't have been able to move like so much blood and autopsy or pictures autopsy pictures of this guy and it, it, it you look at it and you're like how does somebody this looks like something that somebody would do like a, a career criminal would do with all kinds of tools and weapons and stuff and then you realize that they made it from a piece of metal from a door um that was sharpened and and that was the shank and it, it just really it was one of those things court was 10 hours we left at seven o'clock and, and this hearing was about um i guess it was about five hours and I was just perturbed by that that it could happen in a prison that it that that another human could do that to another human and and just watch it happen and that you know I I it was one of those days where I just kind of drove home in in silence. It, and that was the story that you put out where one guard for eight dorms yes so obviously we've talked i mean it's it's been news for a while that there's a staffing shortage at our prisons and and it's dangerous for the inmates it's dangerous for the guards but there's um in each building there are four dorms and at this particular prison this this murder happened at georgia state prison as well but there's four dorms in each building and one guard or correction officer is supposed to cover one dorm and um, on the night this happened, and, and this happens all the time, but on this night, the guy was covering eight dorms in two buildings on his own. And he's supposed to make rounds for each thing every 30 minutes. And, and obviously, he didn't do that because he was feeding everybody. He was delivering trays. This was a lockdown dorm where they slide the tray into the room and they can't come out without being cuffed and all of that. It's super high security. But... um one man and then he looked in the window saw all this blood saw the guy laying there and had to call for you know help from others who came running from other buildings he had to wait for them before he could open the door and then you know all these things have to happen before you can try to administer or render aid and it it was just very it was eye-opening to this the point that you know, normally I come home on my way home I am like crafting my article in my head and I know what I want to say I want to know what I want to tell everybody I want to know what the highlights are um and I got home and I was like I don't I don't know what to do so the only thing I could do was give basically a timeline of the day of all like how everything unfolded because it doesn't make sense even when you talk about it like that but you know the most compelling part of the whole day was that the guard said on when he testified he said that what he remembered about that night was that he was working all of that on his own and that when he looked in, he noticed there was more blood than a normal murder at Georgia State Prison. More blood than normal murder. Right. right. And it was a lot of blood. Yeah. Yeah. Even a little blood on the on a floor looks like a lot. It's like an oil. Have you ever had an oil leak in a vehicle? You know, a little looks like looks like a lot. But uh, somebody who sees it a lot, sees it often, I should say, 
and they say no there's it's you can't get a gurney in there because the wheels won't turn it was pools, yeah, like pools of blood i mean and he did like i said it was this little like four inch shank that but he, you know and i don't want to spend the whole show talking about prisons because i really could and it, it just makes me so irate but you know they had a hole drilled between the rooms um and they he passed a the shank to the other room and slid it out under the door to get the weapon out of there because they throw their trash out in the hall under the door. That's how they get rid of their trash, which is an odd concept. But all of this started like they had a hole in the wall between cells so that they could pass the cell phone charger back and forth to each other because they all have cell phones. And like, I'm like, and then the guy who died had meth, or methamphetamine amphetamines and two types of thc in his system and he'd been in there for 30 years so i mean are we going to have a conversation about how this is getting in there or are we just going to talk about the guy that's dying (laughs) like i don't well and and again we're not gonna do a whole show on prisons i would like to know because you know they keep talking about all this technology they need to block cell phone signals i can't get a signal in Publix half the time Mm -hmm. because it's a metal building and it creates a sort of Faraday cage. Yeah. So why in the hell can't they construct prisons sort of, you know, with, with materials that damper cell phone signal? Well, you know, that's why Timothy Ward wants to spend $600 million purchasing a new building and then building another new facility so that they can um, build prisons so that they can install cell phone jammers but the whole thing is not so that because i mean the buildings now are old and you would think that they would they're i mean i think they're probably better built than what we build today based on what i've seen with residential stuff but you know you they say they can't install this technology in old infrastructure but how do you have they have have they they tried? tried well and the other thing is is that it's all about these private vendors that they contract with, right? Like there's so much corruption in board members and and people who um, are connected to the system and who gets awarded these third-party contracts. So, and of course a third-party contractor is going to want to put new infrastructure on a new building when they know you have a $600 million budget as opposed to saying, yeah, we've got $20,000 to try to block cell phones. What can you do for us? Right. Well, there's nothing like spending other people's money, right? Right, totally. Speaking of justice, Justice Breyer's announcement, or uh, Justice Breyer's retirement was announced, much to his own surprise last week. Yeah, everyone's surprised, including um, Georgia lawmakers who are offended they weren't notified. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm shocked that SCOTUS did not send out an official uh, press release to individual state lawmakers to let them know that this would be coming out. Yeah, as if, as if he should. I'm. Yeah, it was the dumbest headline of the week. Twits. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty. That I, I can't even believe that they allow themselves to be interviewed for that article. I would have said, you know, even if you'd mouthed off about it or said something, I think that um, it would have been something I just passed on, right? Like I wouldn't have doubled down and said, "Yeah, I can't believe I was blindsided with this news on the Supreme Court." Well, yeah, or just say, wow, that's that's certainly a surprise. Huh, well, I wish him well in retirement, and leave it at that. Not, I was on my way into a, uh, a judicial <laughs> committee hearing in the state of Georgia. 
you self-important twit. Yeah. Get back on your box. You have nothing to do with SCOTUS. So who do you think he's going to appoint or nominate? Well, he's already said it's going to be a black woman, which yeah. paints him into a corner. It also... It paints really, him into a corner? Yeah, I'll say. It really also devalues whoever he nominates. Yeah. Hey, congrats on being black and a woman. Yeah, I mean, of all the accomplishments that, that you have to have to even be nominated to go to the Supreme Court, whether you agree with the the political views one way or the other doesn't matter. These people are extremely well-educated and accomplished in their fields. Mm-hmm. And you totally diminish all of that, all of that hard work by saying, well, you checked the boxes I have. Oh, you have a law degree. Good enough. Uh, names being bantered about. I know they're suggesting Kamala. Mm-hmm. There's just no way. Well, what would happen if that happened? Like, wh- who would our uh, vice president be? I believe he'd be able, be able to, temporarily it would be Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. But he would be able to she- appoint his, his own vice president, much like Nixon did with Ford. Hmm. When uh, Spiro Agnew stepped down, uh, that left an opening, and Nixon was able to to appoint Ford, which in turn pardoned Nixon after uh, Nixon right. left. Right. So that I heard a, a huge conspiracy theory, which is he'd appoint Harris and then bring Hillary in as vice president. She totally off him. <laughs> what does he know? It doesn't matter. I heard- I know. I heard he was going to give an interview. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. I, and then, you know, there's been for a long time uh, rumors about Michelle Obama, which I think is something, you know, I don't know if there's any validity to that. I I feel like it it could easily be something just to rile up the right because there are plenty of Republicans who don't really know anything about her other than she's Barack Obama's wife. And that's enough reason enough to hate her. She's never sat on the bench. It'd be a hard, hard sell. And again, we're still talking about a 50-50 Senate. I do not believe the vice president can break the tie in a uh, SCOTUS nominee. That would be an extremely divisive uh, uh, appointment. And I'm not sure that uh, Obama wants it. I, I, I don't know that she's qualified for it. She, uh, when's the last time she, she opened a law book? Was you know she's never sat on the bench. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Abram's sister. Oh God, that would be just oh no, that would be terrible. She's got the qualifications. She sits on a bench. She's female. Check. She's black. Check. I mean. Oh. There's lots of people, um, like district court at the circuit level, and um, oh yeah, you know, yeah, they're the, they yeah. Good, it good. probably will not be anybody that most people have ever heard of. Well, did most? I mean, did were most people aware of who our current? Had anybody heard of um, Kavanaugh? Really? Like, was that a household name? I don't. I don't think so. Right. They, yeah, these are going to be somebody on the appellate court on, uh, you know, one of the the circus appeals courts, something like that. It's not. It's probably not going to be a splashy name because 
you really don't want, especially coming into an election year, you don't want to give Republicans any more ammunition they already have. You go put a, uh, Obama on the court, and you're just handing the, the full Senate and House over to the Republicans. It, it'd be a horrible political move. Hmm. Absolutely horrible. Uh, same thing, the Harris thing, it'd be a horrible political move, and it would be seen for what it is, buying Harris off and getting her out of the way, because she actually polls below the president, and I don't think I poll below the president nationally. Well, he's polling pretty low. Yeah, I mean, that's, and she's below him. So it, it would be seen as what it is, and, and again, that'd be just handing the the Congress over to the Republicans, and I, I, I think they're still they still have a glimmer of hope. They believe they have a glimmer of hope. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't I don't think we're going to see a big splashy name. That's not typically what we see with with uh, Supreme Court nominees. I mean, most people didn't know who R- Ruth Bader Ginsburg was before she was nominated. Nobody knew who Clarence Thomas was before he was nominated. Because most of these scholars are just that they they do their job to keep their mouths shut and and come come down with their rulings, especially when you start talking about uh, appeals courts and things like that, where you may see a dissenting opinion, but it it never it doesn't make the huge splash that a SCOTUS opinion does. But I want to make sure that uh, Justice Breyer calls. Everyone on the Judiciary Committee in the state of Georgia House and apologizes personally for that uh, information leaking out. Yeah, it was. They shouldn't have to find out the way they did. It's it, it, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, and, and look, good good luck to Justice Breyer. I, that he's if he is retiring, he's in his eighties. He's he's not going to die at the bench like Ginsburg did. Uh, go out with grace, and from his political point of view. <laughs> He is. He Go waited out with till, grace? Are you suggesting that it's not graceful to die in office? Yeah, it is absolutely not when you're falling asleep during arguments. Uh, but yeah, go out and enjoy your retirement. You, you know, he waited till he had a president with his political leanings, and he knows that this. And from a practical standpoint, he knows this is the last time uh, in Biden's tenure that he will have at least 50% of the Senate. Mm-hmm. And if he wants to be replaced by somebody who is going to follow in his footsteps, now's the time for, for him to do that. Sure. The, the, the weight of the court's not going to change. It's still going to be 6-3, leaning conservative, although I think it's more 5-4 when you count Roberts. Uh, so the the weight of the court's not going to change. This is this is what happens. The only time you get a, a weight change is when you get a Ginsburg who holds on too long. It ends up croaking with the opposite team in in, in charge. I'm so understanding, aren't I? Yeah. So Fannie Willis isn't letting up on former President Donald Trump. The prosecutor investigating then-U.S. President Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election results in the state will be allowed to seat a special grand jury to subpoena witnesses to testify against him. I mean, don't you think it's a little odd that we're a year... when? I mean, she. I don't remember the exact date that she announced, but it was pretty soon after she took office um, 
and we're a year into this and, and you're just now wanting to have a special grand jury be, so that you can subpoena witnesses to testify against him? Because a special grand jury, I mean, it's all going to happen behind closed doors. How is that going to be anything different than what you've tried to... Yeah, and this this goes back to the call to Raffensperger uh, that Trump called perfect. Yeah, he recently did that. <laughs> I was like, I mean, he he just, he gives zero. You know what's? I this is this is just stupid. This is grandstanding, uh, trying to stir stuff up going into the uh, uh, election season. Well, it just it it really is. I don't I don't besides the witch hunt uh, against Trump. He, and, I, and I wish Trump would stay the hell out of Georgia politics altogether. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit unfair to say that it's, you know, going into an election year and everything because, I mean, she's she's been hammering this for the last year and, and, and the, the media has continued to give her the platform to talk about why she's doing this and, and you know, in, in any other situation, I think a lot of people would consider it admirable right like when a a local prosecutor takes on a former president i i think that that would be but it doesn't even really seem to be like i don't even really know of a ton of democrats that are like yeah keep on they i mean i'm sure they support what she's doing because people want to see trump go down no matter what but it she doesn't have like this momentum movement behind her um pushing her to keep on yeah, most people have forgot about the, the phone call. Uh, they and, just think Trump didn't accept the results. Right. And look, you and I said right after the election that with with the ballot showing up out of nowhere, going to bed with the uh, Vegas oddmaker saying it's like a 90% chance that Trump won re-election, wake up you know, five hours later and all of a sudden it's flipped. You, know, you and I were suspicious, but I, Trump knew all of his phone calls were taped. That's just part of being president. So I don't know what part of that. I don't know. I, I don't know what, what the hell she's doing. Uh, I, I don't know if she's trying to keep her, her name out there, her time in the sun. Uh, but it doesn't take a year to investigate a phone call. No. This is not, this is not going after in, investigating a murder, investigating a rape, in, investigating something that, that you're, you're getting witnesses. You have the tape. It's, it, it was either... It was either influencing or it was not. It was either conspiracy or it's not. It doesn't take a year. They could have put a, uh, a grand jury together in 2020. As soon as the phone call happened, she could, uh, if if there was evidence, that they, they, they could have convened or waited for him to leave office. You know, this time last year, and said, "Okay, let's sit down. Here's the evidence." Because that's all you need is the tape of the damn phone call. This is not a year to investigate and unravel things, wait for DNA evidence and and right. uh, uh, ME results and all that stuff. There's, there's really not flip. any additional testimony to gather, and there's really not a ton of additional investigating to do because, I mean, it, it, it's done. Like, it's not still happening. It's not like someone's still concealing a body. Everyone thinks they're Woodward and Bernstein. Mm-hmm. So, news uh, was followed by a confidential report which alleges that hackers 
could flip votes if they gained access to Georgia's touchscreens. I thought this was an interesting story. So it was the the first I heard of it was from an AJC report, um, but apparently it's kind of like, and it was something that came out earlier or last year. I keep forgetting we're in 2022, but that came out in 2021 in a court um, hearing, and but it has since received the attention of Homeland Security. So apparently there's this confidential report that we can't really look at or know anything about, but um, there's this guy named Alex Halderman, um, and he's a computer science professor at the University of Michigan, and he was testifying um, as an expert in an election security lawsuit over the summer. Um, And so he was at a direction of a or directed from a judge, he was able to look at Georgia voting equipment for a 12-week period, and he produced a 25,000-word report that is under seal. Um, but I guess I'm assuming some of this came from, like, the transcript of that um, hearing and whatnot and, and other testimony, but apparently he found that software could be installed on the voting machines and that it they changed the QR codes on paper ballots that come out printed and obviously like the naked eye can't tell any difference. And so humans wouldn't know they would, they would be, you know, come out like they'd be on the computer screen as you want. When you print it out, it's a different QR code. And when it goes to be entered officially into the machine, you would have no idea that it's wrong. Um, which, you know, I don't know if we're at risk for this software. I, I'm not going to claim to be an expert on it by any means, but anything that connects to the internet can be hacked. Anything. I mean, they hack baby monitors just to prove they can. Sure. You know, of, of course it can. Look, if you have access to the computer, you could f- fix it so that Mario Brothers pops up when you when you put the card in the machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything could be done, done with a computer, but Raffsberger actually had a, a pretty good point said Halderman is a longtime critic of Georgia voting technology who was only able to create the hack after a judge gave him access to the voting equipment and passwords. He said well, voting in Georgia is more secure, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and he said claiming you can break into the system after you've been given unfettered access is like claiming you can break into a house after being given the keys and alarm codes. I mean, sure, that sounds like a great quote on paper, but... Like, that's what security experts do. They go in and look at your infrastructure and look at it from the inside out. I mean, the Georgia Virtue is not locked down like the NSA, but Eric knows where vulnerabilities are because he looks at the back end of the site and and he's on the inside. He knows what what is strong infrastructure and what is not. I mean, that's that's kind of just blowing off the the bigger issue. And you well, that's 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 him blowing it off in public, though. That's not. That's well, not what they're, what they're doing it, back room. Why is the report confidential? It's our money. There are machines, our state property. And our elections. Yes, for our public officials. So why No, I agree the, with you that. Yeah. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly that that's a problem. That, that we're, we're creating, we're spending money to pay somebody to to find vulnerabilities and then he finds them and basically what all we get is there are vulnerabilities uh no and then the state's saying no there isn't and that's it 
Yeah, and the best way, I mean, if, if you don't want this to be political or you don't want this to be Trump, you know, oriented and and focused on 2020, the simplest way to do that is to release the report and, and ensure um, ensure that people feel like they can trust the machines because that's the biggest problem right now is is really not what has already happened but the fact that people don't trust the machines that's a problem clarity always helps and i will quote my wife here with a vague disclaimer is nobody's friend mhm clarity no let us know what's going on and if it, this actually adds more doubt to the upcoming election Maybe if we had access to the report, go, okay, now I understand what's going on. But or, this, this, it, or release the report and then release what you're doing to address any issues. And people will be like, oh, great. Well, yeah, there's always going to be people who are ticked that it happened in the first place. But if you're fixing them, then what does it matter? Right. It looks exactly. bad that in an election year, they're not releasing it either. Yeah, it, it absolutely it does. And... All this does is feed the losers mm-hmm. because this is going to come right back up with whoever loses and saying, obviously, it was hacked. So, I, yeah, I think the biggest story on it is, is the lack of transparency. Yeah, I agree. That's, but the, the second part of the story is that that lawsuit is where they want them to force the state of they basically want to force the hand of the state of Georgia to abandon the voting system um that costs 138 million dollars um and my question is what's the alternative right but yeah absolutely that's the, the I said it in 2020 these machines are here to stay mm-hmm. we just got them they're not going anywhere Hey, but this is a good time to remind you that these are our opinions and not those of anyone not on the show or any respective company for which we may work, own, or otherwise associate ourselves with on a regular or irregular basis. Also, you can find other episodes and relevant stories over at thegeorgiavirtue.com. This past week at the Georgia Legislature. Boo. <laughs> handful of lawmakers filed a bill to exempt law enforcement officers in Georgia from paying state income taxes. Jessica. Ima- imagine, imagine wanting to, feeling so strongly about the idea of limiting government that you want everyone to be exempt from paying state income taxes on the money they work hard to earn instead of just a small group of people. Right. This reads well. It doesn't. For the back the blue people is is the only thing is they is these lawmakers are trying to get out front in their communities and saying we back our police. Look what we're doing for them. Well, the fact is it's it's disparate treatment and it's we are due equal protection under the law. Yes, and. It's so it's sponsored by Rick Williams, um, Bill Hitchens, Alan Powell, Stan Gunter, and Matthew Gamble. But obviously, Bill Hitchens is the former 
colonel of the Georgia State Patrol, and his son is currently second in command for Georgia State Patrol. Alan Powell, or I think Bill Hitchens is the public safety chair for the House Committee, and Alan Powell used to be the public safety committee chair. Um, and Gunter was the executive director of the prosecuting council, prosecuting attorneys council of Georgia. Um, like there's all these people that are tied super close to law enforcement. So the optics aren't good. But when you when you look at their the reason, which is like incentivizing people to go into law enforcement, it kind of shows that you're a moron because if you talk to people who are in law enforcement that don't work for a state agency like the GBI or Georgia State Patrol, they want a retirement system or a pension system that is valuable and reliable as like that's what they would prefer over this over six percent which i mean i'm not sure i'm sure that i i've not found anyone who's like heck no we don't want that but over the years when i've talked about to people about law enforcement pay their answer is always yeah we i mean and they want to pay into it it's not that they just want some sort of you know pooled system where they can all because smaller departments and agencies and even sheriff's office don't have access to that. Um, like teachers. Y- yeah, but probably something a little bit more. Uh, Fiscally sus- responsible. Yeah, and sustainable. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, look, it's no one goes into law enforcement for the money. It's, it's, it's very similar to being a teacher. You don't go and get a, a criminal justice degree thinking, boy, I'm really going to rake it in. Uh especially when you go work for a small department. And look, small departments are often feeders for larger departments. You go, you, you, you use a small department to get, to get your post-certification. You do five years, and then you move on to a larger department. And that's, that, that's really difficult for – even Paulding County is a, tends to be a feeder for cop that pays more. Um, that's not going to change anything with, with, with this. So if, if you're exempted making – 40000 a year at a smaller department and you go to $50,000 a year, you're still exempted. It's, 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 it's disparate treatment. It is, it's grandstanding. It is absolutely just, just gerrymandering, not gerrymandering, but, uh, pandering. Uh, pandering. Thank you. Brain's not working this morning. Yeah. Uh, it's just absolutely just looking for the, for the headlines. I doubt it even makes it out of committee. So the state of Kentucky filed a the similar bill earlier this year, and I did some on my Google machine trying to find some states that had this, and because I really hadn't heard of it, um, Missouri, I guess, proposed a bill in 2020, but I couldn't find anything where it passed. So, I mean, if it moved forward, it would be the first state in the nation to do so, and if it doesn't move forward, then it's just a bullet point on a campaign flyer, which... Should be I think exactly what it is. Right. I mean, it, it, that's exactly what it is. I, I don't think it'll make it out of committee. It, it, it's like the Hearing Protection Act in Congress, which was would would make would take silencers off of the uh, off the list of NFA items that you have to get, get a stamp for. Half of Congress co-sponsored it; they couldn't get out, get it out of committee. Everybody wanted their name on it so they could take it back to the district, but no one wanted to actually bring it to the floor. So, facing a surge in over, overdose deaths. And rural suicides, Georgia lawmakers have unveiled a bill to bolster the state's dismal mental health care system. It's hard. It's hard to be against mental health reform. Um, a lot of the issues we've talked about um, are 
tied to lack of mental health care and access. And we've talked about it on the show in so many different capacities. But um, if you want to know my honest opinion, I think that this is coming from the standpoint of the momentum that's coming behind the gambling bill, um, because that's been a proposal all along is like people with addiction and gambling addictions, we need to have programs for them. And I think that that's why this is all of a sudden coming out of left field, because it's not like this, it's not like some groundbreaking information came to light and we're like, oh my God, our state has a mental health problem. Um, But what's interesting is that Ralston is the key sponsor, and this is one of two bills he has sponsored since he became speaker. Do you know what the other one was? Hit me. You don't know? No. The Transportation Investment Act of 2015, when they raised gas taxes and um, all of our transportation got rid of the electric vehicle stuff and 5% on everything, that was... That was the other claim to fame. Was that shortly after we got rid of the toll on Georgia 400? Yes. Yes, it was. Yes. Yeah, Deal was uh, uh, still has nightmares about that as pest. Well. Uh, look, I, bolstering the state mental health stuff is great. Uh, casinos don't, don't create gambling problems. Look, Connie and I were headed to uh, dinner the other night and passed what I call a casino. It's a beer store that used to have gas mm-hmm. pumps. They took the gas pumps out. And all they, are, they, they sell beer, they're a convenience store, and they have gambling machines in Lotto. And every, and this was, you know, 7.30 at night, every space outside this beer store was full. And no one was coming out of the door as, as we set the light next to this thing. And it's a casino. These people have, have gambling problems. And these, and these are the people who can least afford to have a gambling problem, but who's benefiting from it. The Typically state. the state, because they're buying lottery tickets, standing there scratching them, then going back over there and taking, you know, take $100. Now it's 80 Okay, we take that 80 and get this this one, this one, this one, this one. So anyway, the the though this is this is not a bad idea to, to try to bring more mental health professionals in, what we need is a mechanism to commit people in this, in, in this state, in this country. What? Because there are... There are people that don't deserve to be locked in prison for the rest of their life, but they should not be in society. So who commits them? Well, it's going to... I don't know. I don't know the mechanism besides psychologists, and then it has to be adjudicated. Mm-hmm. So that's where I, that's where I have a, a tough time, because look how we sentence people to prison. I mean, I don't want people to be... Like our mental... We don't have a good track record with mental health facilities um heck a lot of the private ones are crap but let's talk about what the bill seeks to do because i think it you know what you just mentioned about the um what would be a possible resolution but of course that's not what they want so they want to ensure private insurers um, provide the same level of benefits for depression, anxiety, and other mental issues and disorders as they do for medical conditions. And apparently, I mean, that's required by federal law, but apparently we have a huge problem with um, insurance companies not doing that and and creating unnecessary burdens. Um, 
They want to create incentives for people to become mental health workers. So probably, you know, I don't know, exempting them from the state income tax. Um, they want to create a grant program to establish effective policies um, for ensuring that when they do have court-ordered mental health um, and substance abuse treatment, that it's that it works. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know what a grant program is going to do to assure that uh, court-ordered substance abuse is going to work. Well, you know, 159 counties in our state, 77 don't have a psychiatrist that is there full-time, 76 don't have a psychologist. Um, So I think I I would venture to say that this grant program is going to place people there or... um, you know, to, to be situated there so that if you're in one of these programs, you can meet with someone in your community instead of going to a county next door or... Um, well, there's a- also licensed clinical therapists that aren't doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of like, a, it'd be like a, a licensed PA or licensed nurse practitioner when you're talking about medicine. But there are, there are licensed therapists uh, there that are also uh, can handle substance abuse stuff. Uh, no, I, I, I'm I, look. I, I'm big proponent of of mental health. I just don't know what government can do by by. Okay, we're gonna give a grant. Well, you guys created this problem when you emptied out the state hospitals. Yeah, that's one of the homelessness is not is not a money issue. It's a mental health issue. Yeah, these th- it's not because there aren't resources for people. It's because they don't have the ability to handle themselves in society or hold down a job or they're so addicted to drugs that they'd rather live under a bridge and have, have dope than live in an apartment and not. So, Sometimes. yeah, mental, mental health is a, is a huge problem in this country, a huge problem in this state, huge problem under the Gold Dome. Mm-hmm. I... Yeah, it goes across the street too. The, our state insurance commissioner, God, he definitely gets the the award for clown of the week. He he said he wasn't going to put insurance companies on the defensive, but they need to get on board. And his quote was, "The insurance industry is listening. They're not stupid. They understand this is important." Yeah, well, that's the that's what you get when you're insurance commissioner and you work for the insurance companies. Yeah. Sorry, I don't want to be in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. All right. All right, guys, I'm going to have to hold your feet to the fire a little bit in public. Don't worry, I'm still with you. Yeah, just take a step closer. You don't have to do anything, though. Do you think he crafted the statement, or do you think he went to his corporate masters first? He probably came up with it because the sentences are only three words. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Look, a lot of the problems with insurance is not that they won't cover it. It's what they will cover. It's not that they won't cover addiction. It's like, well, what about I go to this facility? Now, that facility is not in our plan. Only this facility is in our plan in your area, and that facility has a six-month waiting period. Well, and they want things to try and fail first. They don't want people just to soar to the end. And But again... I mean, yeah, the insurance system is broken, and I mean, we again another another whole show we could spend, but it's still a private company, um, and y- you get what you pay for, 
in in regards to that. I mean, some people pay for the bottom tier plan and want top tier quality coverage. It, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, and, and I see it twice a week in uh, in my physical therapy. You know, I'm still going through with, with, with my knee stuff. Is look, your plan only authorizes this many visits. You can continue to come and pay out of pocket. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, your insurance only pays for six visits unless you can get reauthorized by your doctor. What, whatever it is, I I hear the conversation because I'm in there. You know an hour and a half twice a week mm-hmm. and, I, and I hear the conversations over and over when they're arguing with insurance companies but yeah it's you when I go when certain people go in and they show their insurance card they go oh yeah they're really good that's that won't be a problem or they come in with one they go we're gonna need you to talk to your insurance company and get the authorization because we fought with them and you know they're not going to pay us unless you get the you get the authorization you fight with them and that's that's absolutely that's absolutely true that's it's it's you know, Con and I pay for, uh, I won't say a Cadillac plan, but it's definitely, definitely uh, uh, better than, than a Yugo. <laughs> anyway, and on to important business. Mm-hmm. Designating the official marsupial of Georgia. Yes, there's a bill to make the possum the official marsupial of Georgia. It's the only marsupial of Georgia. But it's going to be the official one. Good Lord. It's, it's the only marsupial. I think it's the only North American mar- marsupial, but certainly the only one in Georgia. I don't, you know, I don't know. I just, uh, in the road. we have the possum drop out here for New Year's. I wonder well, if that actually, would be Paul banned. Did, I don't think they drive. I think it's a stuffed possum. Oh. Uh, that would re- really be mean just to drop a possum from, from 100 feet up in the air. Uh, Happy yeah. New Year. <laughs> Peter would riot. Uh, actually, here we have the Silver Comet drop that was canceled this year due to weather. But, yeah, whatever. I just don't, I don't understand this stuff. I don't understand what, why we're wasting, they, they always say there's not enough time. We only have 40 days, there's not enough time. <laughs> this is going to be a rush session because it's, because it's a election year. Who the hell is the possum lobby? I don't know, but we're, you know, like when, when they did the official state nut, which is the pecan or the pecan, depending on which part of the state you live in, it was so that for certain like promotional reasons and economic development incentives and ways to give handouts. Well, I don't agree with that, but I at least understand it. What do you get from naming the marsupial? Ah, is there a, is UGA going to get additional money to study possums because it's the official marsupial of Georgia? I, I, it's. I'd like uh, someone to study why it's opossum. Yeah, you have to go to a linguist for that. Well, maybe that's why it's what, opossum. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Why is it occult? Because. Because. All right, injecting parents into the school curriculum process even more by allowing them to protest books and content then require school officials to respond and make a decision. This one's your fault. It is my fault. It is my fault. This is uh, Senator Jason Anavitarde, and he's a friend of mine. Uh, SB 226 introduced last year but stalled in subcommittee. 
Quote, I think what we are trying to do is basically create a process that the public would understand in terms of where we go if there was a concern with material. You know where you go if there's a concern with material? Homeschool. We, we covered this last week or week before. The everyone, okay, I should say everyone, any book you're, go, you're going to find someone who has a problem with it. And we all agree that we don't want kids pulling up porno in the school library. We all agree on that. We all agree they shouldn't be checking penthouse out under the periodicals. We all agree on that. But where it becomes fuzzy is what is considered obscene, because that is 100% subjective. There are some parents who would complain about every book. I mean, because there's different versions, there's different additions. I mean... And, and what this would do is require them to um, respond, which, okay, should a local school system be required to answer a parent? Yeah, they probably should. Do we need a law for it? I'm not sure. Well, it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't matter what you put on, put on the shelf. Hey, look, this is, this is not curriculum. This is what's, what's accessible. The curriculum, you know, parents have a pretty good idea when their kids come home with a syllabus of what's going to be required. Or they come home with a reading list over the summer of what, they, what they're going to be required to, to have a knowledge of. Or when the kid's writing a book report, if the parents are involved in what their kids are doing, they have an idea of what their kids are reading. This has to do with what's accessible on school computers and what's accessible within the school library. And... Again, it was last week or week before. Kids have a porn machine in their hand. Mm-hmm. Every kid walking around with an iPhone. Now, do parents monitor their iPhones? I certainly hope so. I hope every keystroke that a kid hits, the parents can see. But we have so many books that have offensive terms in there, outdated terms, uh, Things that, that are important to read, important pieces of work, whether it's The Great Gatsby. You know, you, we have all these, all these works that, that contain outdated and what would today be considered offensive terms that you, we can't erase. I'm not, I'm not ready to stand outside and start throwing books on a burning pile. No, and it's... A- <laughs> violating Godwin's law here. Yeah, and if you, but at the same time, like if you want that, if you want to micromanage what your child is learning, you need to send them to a private school where you are on the board of the curriculum or or whatever, or you need to homeschool them so that you can make sure that you are instilling every single belief that you hold onto them. And and the thing that bothers me the most about this is that I was, and we've taught, I've said this before on the show, I was taught things in school, I learned things in society that um, went against or were in conflict with what I learned at home, and we would talk about it, and 
you know, as a kid, I would usually believe my parents. But as I got older, it was my decision to decide. And if, if you if your kids can't go to school and have views challenged and, and then come home and and like there's absolutely no foundation, then something's wrong with the views you're instilling or the way you're instilling them. There's nothing wrong with reading stuff you don't agree with. It's, it's having a foundation of knowledge that allows you to take the next step onto college or take the next step in life or have a foundation of knowledge for life. You need to read The Wealth of Nations. Mm-hmm. You need to read things like, uh, like Karl Marx to, understa- to understand what, what the other side is talking about. You need to read this stuff to understand it. You need to be able to, be able to, to filter through information especially in today's society, be able to filter through information and pick things out and be able to speak intelligently. So if, if you're having an argument with, a, with an outright socialist or communist and you have no idea what the hell Karl Marx wrote, how the hell do you have an a intelligent debate with that person? That actually, you, you within debating somebody, right. But to be able to debate somebody is be able to turn so their words against them. So if you can... If, if you're debating a communist on the on the the advances of socialism versus capitalism, and you can take Karl Marx's words and turn them back on that person, that's how you want to debate. Well, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when it was acceptable to be assigned a topic for a debate, and whether you agreed with it or not, you had to argue that side. Oh no, absolutely! I, I was on the debate team, and you would argue the uh, the different sides in the same day. You'd go from from match to match, and you you carried two back then back in my day catalog uh, cases with you of of files, and depending on which side you drew, that's what you pull. That that's the those are the files you pulled out because it, it was. Same thing with with going. I'm sure going to law school is you you need to be able to argue on either side, and you're arguing points points of a case, not oh, you know overall how I feel about it. But we're we're losing the intellect, and and I, obviously I don't. It's going to be different for a high school senior than it is for a kindergartner. But there's somebody out there that is going to find the little caterpillar offensive. And want that taken off the shelves. There, this is going to. I think it's going to inundate schools with a bunch of BS. And there's going to be somebody out there that sees the Bible on on, the, on a shelf somewhere, or sees a, finds out the kid pulled up King James version of the Bible on a school computer and and lose their mind about that. Remember, this is going to cut both ways. It doesn't just cut the way of we don't want transgenderism being taught in our schools. It's it's going to cut the other way too. And I don't, I don't like this piece of legislation. Like I said, Jason and I are friends. Uh, I, I don't like this piece of legislation at all. And I think it'll die in committee again. Here, here. Well, Jessica, as we are winding down, what are your closing thoughts? My closing thoughts are I defer to you because I took up a lot of time in the beginning. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Republican House candidates. Nancy Pelosi has announced she's running for re-election. Nothing could be better for the Republicans taking over Congress than to have the devil incarnate back out there raising money, campaigning, and threatening to, to take her seat back as Speaker. 
She's another one. She plans to die in that seat. Mm-hmm. She 80-something years old. I think she, her birth predates like canned beer. Oy. She's pretty I mean, old. She, she's pre-World War II. Is she? No, she's not. She's 80-something years old. She's not pre-World War II. She is. She comes from a. She comes from a political background. Her father was mayor of Baltimore, I think. I think her brother was mayor of Baltimore, also. Okay, she's nineteen forty. Uh, what the hell? Dang. Yeah, she's pre World War Two. Well, pre our involvement in World War Two. Yeah, yeah, which means she remembers VE and VJ Day. She remembers listening to Roosevelt on the radio. This is how old this woman is. Now, she doesn't remember what she had for breakfast, besides a, a healthy glass of wine, I'm sure. But she probably remembers the fireside chats, sitting, sitting next to her parents at the radio, long before TV was invented. That's how old this woman is. And she has control over what bills go before our lawmakers. But... You know what? Nothing could be better for Republicans taking over the, the House than having Nancy Pelosi there to point at her and say, I'm going to stop her. Elect us. We'll make sure she does not get the gavel ever again. It, it was, I think she's a money-making machine. She's a money-raising machine. Uh, she'll win. I mean, she'll absolutely win her seat back in San Francisco. People are just used to voting for generations of people have voted for I think she's been in office since ni- 1987. Mm-hmm. That's, well, she was... Were you, were you born in 87? I wasn't. I wasn't. Mm-mm. But yeah. she was the senator when I was born there. Oh, yeah? I mean, I mean a senator. Congresswoman. A c- congresswoman. When you were born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1987. And... I think she won a special election and was appointed and hasn't looked back since. So well, she can't look back. Her face is so tight from all those facelifts she's had. I mean, holy hell. Yeah, her eyebrows and her hairline are going to meet at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> on that, for Jessica Salaji, my partner in this endeavor, for Eric Cumby, our awesome editor, I'm Dave Roberts. Have a great week. Catch me howling at the moon